Hey friend, long time no talk. Uh, so quick question, were any of you going to tell me how challenging it was going to be to write, script, record, edit, produce a podcast all by myself, or were you just going to keep that a secret? Just kidding, but I, I have come to grips with the fact that my original plan of fitting production of a of a show into my weekly routine as it currently exists uh, is just not practical. And so I know it's been a while since I published a new episode, but I am happy to say that I am back with a better system. So what I'm working on now is figuring out places to batch record many episodes at once, which I can talk more about in another episode. Uh, And yeah, just kind of getting used to this whole thing. I tend to launch creative projects and ideas messy. Um, As a lot of you know, I like to just get something out there and figure it out down the line, particularly free things like this. Uh, And so, yeah, I'm, I'm learning as I go, and I promise to share all of the lessons with you. But for now, let's just normalize creating a podcast, telling everyone about it, and then not publishing any episodes for a month. Let's normalize it. So today on the Pretty Decent Podcast, we have our first ever guest interview with Dr. Shelley Bomick, the founder of Platform Wellness, a practice dedicated to helping people heal from burnout. Dr. Bomick is a double board certified physician specializing in preventative medicine and lifestyle medicine. She earned her medical degree from the George Washington School of Medicine and Health Sciences and completed her residency training at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. As the founder of Platform Wellness, Dr. Bomick's mission is to help people, especially women of color, excel in their personal and professional lives without having to sacrifice their health and well-being. So we're going to be talking a lot about burnout today, what it looks like, how to recognize it, and some of the red flags. I do want to offer you a quick content warning that there is a brief discussion of suicidal ideation right at the beginning of this conversation. And of course, if this is your first time listening to the Pretty Decent Podcast, you are more than welcome to join us in our internet cafe, which is free and open to everyone and hosted on Slack. I'd love for you to pop in and share your thoughts about this episode or anything that came up for you as you listened. You can learn more about joining the Pretty Decent Internet Cafe in today's show notes or at www.prettydecent.org. And with that, let's get into the interview. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So thank you so much for being here to chat with me and be on the Pretty Decent Podcast. You're officially our first interview uh, on the podcast. (laughs) So, so grateful to have you here. Uh, Do you want to start by just telling everybody who's listening a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure, sure. Yes. So my name is Dr. Shelley Bomick. I am a preventive and lifestyle medicine physician based here in New York City. And I have uh, my own practice, and that's mainly to help women of color with burnout. And what made you so interested? How did you end up in that, like working with burnout and working with women of color um, around burnout? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it really, it really comes down to my own personal experience with burnout and mental health issues in general. You know, I 
have dealt with mental health issues on and off over the years, ever since my mom passed from cancer when I was in college. Um, but it, was, it wasn't until the beginning of 2020, so just before COVID really hit the US, uh, I found myself in a pretty bad place. And the scary part was that I didn't realize it. So I you know, I didn't realize it until I found myself one Friday evening rush hour, you know, standing at the edge of the subway platform, wondering if I should push myself over the edge, you know, push myself into the train. And it was just, that was such a pivotal moment for me. You know, I had never experienced anything like that before. And, and so to have been able to step away from that edge, literally and figuratively, it, um, it took a lot. And, um, you know, I'm one of those folks who was so thankful to go into lockdown at the beginning of COVID because I needed that time and that space to really heal and work on myself. Um, and it was during that time, during that process that I just came to realize how powerful your mindset is when it comes to anything and everything that you do. Um, I like to say that mindset is medicine, especially when it comes to burnout, because it can help you identify what the limiting beliefs are that are uh, potentially fueling the burnout for you. Um, so, so yeah, it was just such a powerful, uh, you know, experience for me, and I learned so much from it that I want to make sure that I pass this on to other women of color in particular. You know, I don't want to, I, I don't want uh, anyone to end up at the edge of whatever platform they're standing on. So that's why I decided to start my practice platform wellness. You know, I just want to just want to help as many people I can with this. Yeah. Wow. That's a I mean, that story is so impactful and I feel like that metaphor of being on the platform whether literally or just on kind of teetering on the edge is something that definitely feels like how burnout feels um when it shows up like it's we get to that point. So I'm gr so grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, so tell me a little bit more about like your life leading up to, I guess you having this revelation, you were, you know, you obviously went to medical school, you were a high achiever. Um, how do you think that played a role in how you were dealing with stress, I guess? Yes. Well, you know, I think it's two things for me, it was two things. One, I, you know, I am the uh, daughter of an immigrant uh, parents, uh, you know, my family came from India, and especially with Indian parents, you know, they are really strict about doing well in school and, you know, getting straight A's and all of that, um, you know, like a 99 is not enough. <laughs> so I, you know, I, that mentality was kind of drilled into me at a very young age. And, and so that definitely played a role. And, you know, I will say too, I think a lot of times with folks who um, are, do come from immigrant uh, families, you know, our parents had to work so hard to get to where they are that, you know, that's what they know to be success. They know that, okay, if you work this hard, um, then, you know, then you can achieve. And so it's, it's like, that is uh, drilled into us as well. That look, you, you know, you're, you're starting off at a disadvantage. You need to, you need to work extra hard in order to, you know, earn your seat at the table. So, so I think there was, there was definitely a lot of that at play. Um, I will say though, uh, going back to that, uh, my experience in 2020, um, during, you know, 
during my healing process, one thing that I came to realize was just how um, just how powerful uh, colorism was in terms of uh, you know fueling my burnout. So you know, again, I'm I'm South Asian uh, and I have dark skin, and in our culture, having dark skin is considered um, you're considered less than if you have dark skin compared to someone who has fair skin. Um, and I know that's true for other cultures as well. Um, but again, this is something that I absorbed at a really young age. And what, what I didn't realize though, is that that message, uh, that messaging turned into me believing that I wasn't enough and, and holding on to that belief as truth. And so that led me to, you know, try to attain perfection in anything that I did, whether it was, you know, in, uh, in school or with singing lessons, piano lessons, it didn't matter. I, I always pushed myself and pushed myself so hard um, because I, again, I held on to this limiting belief that I wasn't enough. Um, and you can say that I literally pushed myself to that edge of that, uh, of that platform. Um, so it wasn't, uh, you know, what was so uh, life-changing for me was to realize that I could question the limiting belief that it, you know, I could start to take it apart and, and see that it wasn't true. You know, I would ask myself just really basic, simple questions like, okay, what if I am enough? What if I've always been enough? What if I'm more than enough? Um, it, you know, it had never occurred to me up until that point to even question what I was thinking. And so, you know, it was, uh, that in particular was, was part of, uh, part of my personal experience and perhaps might resonate to some of the listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious, did you have the language at that point to call it burnout or was it something that you discovered down the line as you started, I'm assuming researching and, you know, getting really interested, clearly very passionate in the subject. Um, did you know to call it that, or did you see it as that in that moment? Right. I um, short answer. Well, yes and no. Uh, just being a physician, burnout is such a common term that's used to de just describe what workplace wellness is like in our profession. So obviously familiar with the term and the concept. Um, and I do want to make the distinction too between burnout and depression and anxiety because. Um, you know, what I was experiencing had gone well beyond burnout. Um, so, so I do want to do want to point that out. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, like, I, I recognized that I was burned out, but I didn't realize how bad it was. You know, I, I, I thought that I could still keep pushing myself and didn't realize that that was literally not going to be possible. So, um, so yeah, yes and no for that one. Yeah. What is the distinction of burnout for, for those of us who may not have the, I guess, language or the knowledge to distinguish it from something like being depressed or being anxious? Um, what makes it burnout? What, what distinguishes those things from one another? Right, right. That's a really great question. So um, in 2019, the WHO recognized burnout as a syndrome. And so it's a syndrome that occurs in the occupational setting and it relates to chronic workplace stress that's not managed well. And in particular, there are three characteristics uh, to look out for for burnout. So the first is um, 
you know, feeling depleted or drained, so low energy, that's the first. Uh, the second one is feelings of negativism or cynicism related to your work. Um, and then the third is decreased uh, uh, efficiency or productivity as it relates to your work. So those, those three are uh, the things to look out for if you feel like you might be experiencing burnout. Mm, that sounds so common. It's like sad how common that those three things sound. And across, I mean, I talk to people constantly about work and it's like across disciplines, across industries that seems to have, like, especially, you know, throughout the pandemic, it feels like those are, that's almost like the general attitude that I hear about work is that kind of pessimistic, just like what, why am I doing it type of thing. Um, so that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, it is just so ingrained in our culture and our society. And, you know, I think that's why we're seeing things like the great resignation, for example, you know, people are just realizing that they can't you know, this is not sustainable. The way that they were working before is just not sustainable. And um, yeah, I, I have a funny example of this. So uh, at my previous uh, job, I would, uh, you know, see a lot of executives for, for health exams and for lifestyle coaching. And so, and, and these executives, they would come from uh, specific companies. Uh, some of these companies had branches, uh, you know, or other offices in other places like South America or Europe. And, and so sometimes some of those folks would also come in to, to get their physical exams, annual exams. And it was so interesting talking to them because, you know, they would tell me, I'm working for the exact same company, but my work in, you know, whether it was Europe or South America or somewhere else, you know, my work there is so much more enjoyable than the work I do here in, in New York, in New York City. Um, it just, it doesn't feel, it, it's, it's, I feel like I'm not at the same company anymore. I am working really long hours. I'm not getting, you know, uh, downtime like I normally do. So it's just, again, there's a really big cultural component to this as well. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's like a lot of, you know, intersectional components you've identified, whether through race, colorism, um, I'm assuming socioeconomic status. Does there, does burnout change depending on, I guess, who the person is or who the work is? Do you see a lot of disparity or does it just kind of, is it just a general syndrome, I guess. Yes, definitely. You know, people who are, I'll just say marginalized in general. So women, uh, people of color, you definitely see more the, the trend of burnout higher in those, in those groups. So it is, it is disproportionate. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do? Right. I guess my first question is how do we know if we're burnt out? Uh, I know you had shared the three kind of things to look for it. Is, is there a way that it shows up in our body? Is there something we can be doing kind of to, I guess, check in before we get past that point? I know that's what a lot of your work now is centered around helping women of color do. Is there yeah. kind of a, a check-in we can do? Yes, no, it's a great question. I, um, you know, I, with the patients and clients that I work with, I created a framework or methodology that I call REST. Um, and REST stands for Revive, Strive, and Thrive. So it's there are three parts to the framework, and it's to really help you overcome burnout, to handle stress, and to uh, restore energy. And so that first part, Revive, 
of overcoming the burnout. Um, you know, the three steps within that phase are to detect distress, to secure space, and to seek support. And we're kind of already started talking about that first step of detecting distress, um, and and what you you know what you just mentioned in terms of checking in with your body. That's one of the um, you know that's one of the best things that you can do. A lot of times, it you know it's so easy for us to ignore the the most obvious signs and symptoms. So you know whether that's uh, you know whether that's the back pain you've been experiencing for a while, or your eye twitching, or you know migraines, or eczema flare-ups. Um, you know a lot of times, unless there's a you know a medical condition like an underlying condition that is causing your symptoms. More often than not, a lot of these a lot of these symptoms are related to increased stress or chronic stress, um, and so you know that's why it's important to be able to get you know get your regular checkups, make sure that you know make sure that things are look okay in general, um, and you know and if they do, and if you still find yourself having just all these symptoms, you really got to question whether or not you know stress is you know playing the role here is the culprit here. Um, so yeah, definitely being able to check, check into your body, check, you know, check for those signs and symptoms. That's going to be one of the more important uh, aspects in terms of figuring out if you're even dealing with burnout. Mm. And that's, is that the revive portion, the R? Yes. Yes. It cool. is the revive portion. Yes. Amazing. Cool. Um, I'm curious about something that I guess popped, just popped into my head. It's like, I'm almost thinking about like the the ROI of doing this. Cause I feel like when we are overworking or we're working in a way that isn't sustainable, like you mentioned, we're probably doing that. I know other times that I've done it, it's like, I do it because I don't think there's one, I don't know if there's any other way to do it. And two, it feels like I have to do it maybe because I need money or, you know, I well, yeah, usually cause I need money, right? Like that's the ROI on working too hard is that you get, usually you get money out of it. Um, which is a resource that we obviously can't really even live without at this point. Um, so I guess what is the cost of doing that? Obviously, well-being is a part of it, but also is there, you know, when we start to care for ourselves and manage stress differently and all of these things, is there is there a benefit? Is there is there another way? Is there a better way to be living on the other side of that? Yeah, yeah, no, that that's a really great question, and I don't have specific numbers um, off the top of my head for you, but I will say that this is definitely in the in the corporate wellness space. This is such a hot topic right now because, you know, it is it's really expensive for companies to deal with, uh, in, you know, employee turnover and retention and all of that, and so it is, uh, you know, it's it's really important to them to make sure that their workforce is well. And because so many folks are burned out, there's a lot more eyes on this issue. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of companies now, they'll uh, have chief wellness officers as part of their C-suite. So they recognize that this is, you know, this is hurting their bottom line and th that they need to do something about it. Um, and, and again, you see different companies kind of approaching this from, uh, you know, from, from various aspects, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a hot topic in corporate wellness right now and, and looked at because of, because of that ROI. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about it corporate. I was thinking about like me, I'm like, you yeah. know, <laughs> that makes so much sense. Yeah. That it would have 
a huge impact. Um, so is this, you know, obviously the solution is individual um, and there's not one way to go about it, but, you know, what do you recommend? Like, what do you want to see change in the world? What do you want to see happen differently so that the people that you work with, the women of color that you work with have a different experience than the one that you had? Right, right. Yes. You know, for me, again, going back to that phrase, uh, mindset is medicine, mindset being the best medicine for burnout. If I, you know, if I can pass that message on to other folks, that would be, that would be amazing because I don't think we realize just how powerful we are. Um, a lot of times we feel powerless. You know, we don't feel like we have any control over our situation, which, you know, a lot, you know, to an extent that's true. We, we don't have control over things that are happening externally in our environment. Uh, but where we do have control is with our thoughts. And the reason why that's so powerful is because uh, it's in psychology, this is called the cognitive triad. You know, your thoughts lead to your feelings and then your feelings lead to your actions or behaviors. And so what you think impacts how you feel and then how you feel impacts what you what you end up doing. And so if you're able to kind of get to that, to hone in on, on those thoughts, on those limiting beliefs or dysfunctional beliefs, that's when you can really start to make some changes. You can, you can realize, or you realize that you have agency and that you do have power in a situation. Um, you know, you can, instead of reacting to situations, you can more thoughtfully respond to them. Um, and so little by little, that gives you, um, you know, that gives you the, the tools that you need to really, to really deal with stress and burnout in general. Uh, so yeah, so that mindset piece, it is, it is a really important one. Mm, yeah. That feels like a through line, you know, almost through everything. It's like any, anything, any type of work that anyone's doing, the way that they're thinking about it always seems to play such a huge role in like the mindset aspect of it. Um, I have a question that's slightly related, but also just something I'm curious about. Do you ever find it hard to take your own medicine? That's something oh that goodness. I struggle with. <laughs> Yes, yes, 100,000% yes, yes. You know, and the thing is, this uh, this is a constant process, a continual process. We always have to be checking in with ourselves to make sure that we're okay. Um, I was just talking to a friend, uh, this was a few months ago, and, and I also was in a place where I was really getting burned out. And she, you know, she reminded me, Shelly, you know, I think that step restore routine that you talk about, I think you might want to do some of that stuff in that step. <laughs> it sounds like you might need it. Um, and she was so right. It just, it's so, it's very easy to fall, uh, fall away from these, from these things. And so being able to constantly bring yourself back, um, to be in a community where others can support you to have that accountability. That's another important piece of it too. Um, yeah, this is, you know, this work never ends, but the good thing is that it gets a lot easier the more we do it. So, so there's a, you know, silver lining to it. Mm, yeah. And the more we ask for help, I'm assuming, I know that you're, you offer support. Um, you're based in New York. You have a practice that you've opened, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about 
I guess your entrepreneurial journey and what you're kind of starting to offer. And I know you're thinking about a group program, things like that. Do you want to spill the beans on that? Yeah, yeah. No, so I'm going to be launching my own um, boutique practice, solo practice, again, to help women color with burnout. So I'll be doing burnout screenings specifically uh, as part of that practice. And, and again, based in New York City. So for those, for those of you who are, you know, in the area, um, can check that out. And, uh, and for those who might not be uh, around New York City, I do have coaching services as well. So I'm going to be starting a group coaching program in particular. Um, and it's, uh, it's a unique program because it utilizes both lifestyle coaching and um, life design or human-centered design work uh, to really give folks the tools and tips and techniques that they can use to, um, you know, to work on burnout and stress management in general. So, yeah. Mm, does, because I know you're also a design thinker, you know how I love design thinking. Um, does the way that we design our life have an impact on I guess, to, to continue to use like how close to that edge we get or how how much stress we take in, like, does the, I guess, design of our life in that sense, does, does that solve that problem? Does it, or does it at least contribute to it not getting so bad? Cause I still get stressed out, even though I love my job, I'm an entrepreneur. I get to do most days. I get to do the thing that I love to do, um, which is like teach and talk and do things like this and write for a living. So it's not that I usually have, I mean, except like taxes, <laughs> I don't usually have something to complain about, um, you know, to, especially compared to, I'm always thinking, well, so many people that I know are in, you know, unfulfilling jobs or jobs that don't pay them a living wage or all of these situations. So I'm always like, well, who am I to complain, you know, cause I get to do the thing I love to do, but I still do experience stress. Um, so I guess uh, answering my own question, but in my experience, I, pro I like to think that I probably have less because I have less existential dread over spending time in a job I dislike. But I also think it comes, I mean, entrepreneurship, I've read some studies that suggest that entrepreneurs have higher levels of stress because all of that weight uh, and responsibility is on us to make sure that the business keeps running. Um, so I'm curious, like, how does life design impact our relationship to, I guess, work stress and burnout. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll I'll just say briefly about my own experience in terms of making that transition from being um, employed to then becoming my own boss. Uh, it 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 was a difficult transition. It still is something that I'm trying to figure out or design, if we want to use that term, uh, that word. Uh, yeah, it's you know. The great thing about design in general is that you, you know, it's not set in stone. You can be flexible. You're always, you're always tweaking and experimenting. You're prototyping, you know? And so that's, I think one of the, you know, one of the things that, that I like about design so much is that it gives you that tool of prototyping in particular. It gives you that tool that you can use to, you know, to say, okay, let me, let me try this schedule this week and see how this works for me. And, and then you kind of go through the week, you figure out if that worked for you or not, if it didn't make a little, you know, some changes and then, and then try something for the following week. Um, it's uh, being able to design your lifestyle is, 
is so empowering. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a delicate balance. When I, when I say design your lifestyle, I'm not necessarily saying that you um, control, again, control everything that's happening around you because, because you can't, you know, things happen. Uh, and so, and we need to be able to respond to them in a, in a thoughtful way. Uh, but being able to design your lifestyle can help you respond in, you know, in a way that's more true to you versus reacting to, to something and, and, um, and then regret, you know, regretting it later on. So, uh, definitely empowering. Yeah. When I think of like my burnout story, um, there's a couple of burnout instances that I've had, but one I particularly remember is I was working as an executive assistant and it was, you know, a big job because I was also doing marketing and online course creation for the same client and some freelance work. So I was just going, going, going. Um, and I was reacting. I was kind of in a similar situation. My dad had passed and I was responding to that with just work, just filling my days, filling my life with work. And I started making towards the end of that job where I wasn't, you know, I was wanting to do something else anyway. I started making a lot of mistakes like I in particularly was making expensive mistakes. Is that something that you see happen or that you experienced? Like, I, cause I feel like for me, that's a red flag, um, resentment, frustration, and just like careless mistakes. Cause to me, mistakes mean I'm going too fast. That's what I kind of gathered from that. Um, are there any other, I guess, is that true for you or your clients or, and also are there any other kind of red flags like that that we can look out for? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, what you described, it relates back to two of those characteristics that I, that I mentioned um, at the beginning in terms of what to look out for, for burnout, those feelings of negativism and cynicism that definitely, you know, that definitely shows, uh, you know, or indicates that burnout might be, might be present. Um, And then that decreased productivity, productivity or efficiency, um, effectiveness. Mm that kind of relates to the making, you know, making mistakes, because maybe, you know, maybe you were doing the work just the way that you have always been doing it, normally been doing it, but it just, uh, it's not hitting that mark, uh, you know, or that bar that you've typically set for yourself. So, so yeah, definitely, you know, definitely can see that with other folks as well. Mm. Yeah. And to circle back to what you had mentioned earlier, the not enoughness, the feeling like you're not enough. What do we do about that? Like, cause that feels existential as well. Like if I don't feel like I'm enough and it's kind of this thing that I've been carrying for a long time, what, and I know that that's negatively impacting the way that I'm feeling, right? Like, but maybe I feel like for me, the thing that's always hard with mindset work is that, you know, when I pay attention to the thoughts that are going through my head, it's not, it's rarely literally I'm not enough, right? So it's harder to to identify that thought because it's not so literal. It's not verbatim. It's like these like smaller, insidious, like yeah, just little thoughts. Any any thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah. You know, one exercise that I think is helpful, and this is something that anyone can do. You know, you know, with a journal or or just uh, you know with themselves, uh, is the asking yourself why, the the five whys or the seven whys. You know, so if you, uh, you know, if you have a certain thought and then you just ask yourself, okay, why, why is that? Why is that the case? And then you answer the question and then you ask why again. 
and then you ask why again and, and so on and so on. And so after five to seven rounds or so, you get to really the, the heart of the matter or what's at the root of, of the um, you know, discomfort that, you, that you're feeling. So that is, that, I'm not, I'm not gonna say it's an easy way to, to figure things out because it's not, it's not easy work, but it is a, it's a simple, you know, it's a simple tool that you can use to start to uncover, uncover those limiting beliefs for yourself. Mm. Um, yeah. Wow. That's a really cool exercise. And also it makes me wonder if toddlers are just really onto something. So I feel like every child I've ever met plays that game all the time. Yes. That's exactly how, uh, when I, when I describe the exercise, I, I say, you know, or like we say in design, assume a beginner's mindset, channel your inner toddler, you know, their kids, I, I learn so much from kids because they just, you know, the way that they see the world is so different than, than how we do as adults. And so uh, again, yeah, channeling that inner toddler, asking yourself, okay, well, why, well, why, well, why? Um, that, uh, that can definitely help kind of literally get you out of your own head and, and start, to, start to deconstruct some things, so. Mm, yeah, I could, I just, that's making so much sense to me now because the thought that I probably have is like, oh, like I'm being so lazy today. Like that's probably how it sounds in my head, but then asking or like, oh, I can't do that. I, I don't have time, but then asking why and asking why that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so just to, I guess, pivot slightly, but just make it a little bit more specific for the people that I know are listening, um, are the people who tend to gravitate towards my work and towards pretty decent, uh, tend to be people who want to work for themselves. So entrepreneurs, um, and creative people who want to make a living doing the thing that they actually want to do all day, whether it be writing or painting or talking to people, facilitating conversations, things like that. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, how does this all relate? Does this intersect with creative work? Like, or is there anything specific that those people, us, uh, you know, we people should know about, about this topic? Yeah, yeah. You know, I the word boundaries comes to mind. And I think that's one of the most important concepts <laughs> to, to keep in mind, especially when you're uh, making the transition from, you know, working a nine to five to then, uh, you know, doing your own thing. Uh, it's, you know, when we're working for somebody else, we have these external boundaries in place. And then when, you know, once we're done with that, and once we transition to doing our own thing, um, those boundaries are gone. But, you know, so because those boundaries aren't there, I, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I, you know, I found that I can work all day long and, and late into the night, you know, on my laptop, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., you know, doing things. And it's because I I'm so passionate about the work I'm doing. Um, but, you know, I, you know, that's not, it's not helpful <laughs> to be working those, you know, for, for those hours for, for that much time, because it, it, again, it's going to burn me out. It's going to, you know, I'm going to get tired. Um, and so being able to set the boundary for myself of, okay, you know what, I 10 to four is going to be the time that I'm going to be heads down and doing work, not answering any emails or, or messages that come through. 
um, you know, I'm going to do that. And then, and then I'm going to close, you know, close the laptop at six or whatever, whatever it is. Um, being able to set boundaries for yourself is really, really important when it comes to doing this type of work. Uh, because it's so easy, it's so easy to, to kind of get caught up in the work and then have it bleed into the rest of our lives. So yeah, yeah, definitely boundary setting is, is a big mm. part of this. Yeah, definitely. That was my experience when I even I would say before I started working for myself, because I was still working pretty heavy with one or two clients. Um, and they were I wasn't on their schedule, but I was kind of on their schedule. Uh, I noticed when I started working from home that I would, it was, it was almost like one extreme or the other. So either I'm just like, screw this. I'm not touching my computer today. I can't stand to look at a screen, you know, no matter what happens, I'm going for a walk. And I just kind of, it's almost like, um, yeah, it's like one extreme or the other. Um, or I'm like, oh, I did that too many times. And now I have to sit here and like almost channel that like college all nighter energy, um, to, to get through it. And it's, it's funny how like hard it's been to find the balance, I guess, in between those two extremes. Um, any, anything that's worked for you or anything that you see work for your clients in terms of practically figuring out how to set those boundaries? Like, do you have a note on your phone or a calendar reminder, anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, a couple of things for me, um, one, well, one just in general for, for all people that that might be listening you know work with your body like listen to the rhythms of your own body your body is going to tell you when you're at your best and when you're not Uh, for me the mornings are more productive and so I make sure to you know I do my best not to schedule too many calls or meetings during that time because at least I know I can reserve a couple hours for some deep thought work that I might need to do Um, and so, you know, so listening to your body and I don't know if there are, if the majority of the folks listening are women or not, but you know, this is even true with something like uh, that time of the month, you're, you know, your body is going under, undergoing changes, hormonal changes all month long, right? And so there are gonna be some, uh, you know, some days or some weeks where you feel, you know, a certain way and then other weeks where you don't. And so again, listening to your body is going to be really important when it comes to uh, when it comes to setting boundaries. Um, I think I think the term that people use for this is biohacking your your period, uh, which I, I don't know. I'm not in love with the term biohacking just because I feel like it. Uh, I don't know. I feel like if there's a, like a negative connotation to it, or it implies that um, uh, how do I put it that you know that there's something to fix maybe. Um, but there isn't necessarily anything to fix here. It's just about understanding what the right rhythm is for you, um, you know, and so and listening to your body. So uh, that was one thing. And, and you know, in me, for me in general, in terms of what worked, I, you know, I really hate my phone <laughs> and my laptop. And so any, you know, any chance I have to close it or to do work that's not, uh, related to a screen, I'll I'll take advantage of. So, you know, if that's journaling, if that's doing stuff on a whiteboard, um, I really, I really have to take step, uh, you know, step back from my computer often, because otherwise, I just, I become a zombie, this like zombie blob (laughs) in in front of my screen. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I notice it when I start like actively resenting, I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, I, I got into doing this type of work because I love the internet. I love being on the computer. I think it's so cool that I can make friends online and do all these cool things. And so again, another red flag for me is when I'm resenting the tool that I've studied and used so much and gotten so passionate about through my entire life. Uh, when I'm resenting the computer, I'm like, oh, okay, something's, something's up. I need to investigate that. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. That's your, that's your mind. That's your body telling you, you know, to take that step back. Um, giving you that cue. I, you know, one thing that I realized, I mean, we could talk about technology for a whole other hour. Um, but one thing that I realized with our phones, you, did you know that you could put it into grayscale that the, uh, I just saw that on TikTok. I was like, and I did it for like a day. And then I had to FaceTime my boyfriend and I was like, this is weird. I feel like we're in an old movie. So I turned it off. Yeah. 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 No, it's, um, you know, it may not work for as like a permanent change for folks, but, um, you know, even being able to change it to grayscale during the day or change it to grayscale during working hours, it makes the phone less enticing. So you're not, you know, checking things on Instagram or TikTok, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you're not drawn to clicking on that little, on that little icon. So just anything small that you can do, turning off those notifications, um, keeping it in another room, keeping it face down, even, you know, all those little things help. Yeah. Not sleeping with it in your bed and checking your email first thing in the morning. Like I sometimes do. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, you are not alone. <laughs> you are definitely not alone. Oh yeah. I know. Cause when you look up when, you know, I've done so much email marketing that a lot of times when I was, especially when I was in B2B and I needed to get like on the radar of, you know, my clients were agencies and they wanted to be talking to decision makers at corporations and stuff. I was like, Oh, we'll send an email at, you know, 6.45 a.m. Eastern so that that person is, you know, sitting in bed or they're at the gym and they see that thing. So it's like, logically, I always know that it's not just me, but it, fe it doesn't feel good when those mm. things happen. Um, one more kind of just out of curious exploration question, because a, another thing that I think a lot of our listeners and community members have in common is some level of neurodivergency. Um, you know, whether it's ADHD or being on the spectrum somewhere. And so I'm wondering, is there anything in particular that somebody who is neurodivergent may need to keep in mind about this? Because I know a lot of the time, some of the frustration is like, you know, people, they'll tell people will say to people with ADHD, oh, we'll use a planner. And it's like, well, I can't, you know, because there's no, once I do it, you know, I, there's dopamine in planning out the planner, but there's very little dopamine in like actually following through with it. Um, so anything that, that those folks should know as well? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, one thing definitely is to give yourself grace, you know, because, uh, yeah, there, there's just so many, uh, solutions out there, but it's not a one size fits all, you know, we really have to play around with, with, uh, with different solutions and figure out what works for us, especially, especially for the, you know, folks that you've described, um, and the other thing too that I'll say is knowing when to get the help of professionals is also is also important. You know, if you really find that you are struggling in the work that you're doing, then it could be helpful to, you know, enlist the enlist the help of providers, whether it's someone like a therapist or you know or a physician. Uh, you know, there are you know use them as resources because. Uh, that is going to help you in the long run. 
So yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us, Dr. Pomick. Is there anything else? Uh, or I guess the better question is, how do we, you know, for the person who just fell in love with you and wants to work with you, where can they find you? Um, and and yeah, how do we stay in touch? Yes, ShellyBomick.com, my website. That is the best place to find me, to reach me. Um, all the information about getting the personal burnout screenings or doing coaching. It's all, it's all there for you. So yeah, ShellyBowman.com. Amazing. And New York practice coming soon. Yes. New York, uh, based in New York city. So amazing. Um, all right. Well, thank you again so much for, for being on the podcast, for being my first official interview. Um, I guess to, to close us off, are there any other quick tips or, Anything that, actually a better question, if you could go back to your younger self, maybe, you know, late 2019, early 2020, and tell that person anything, what would you say? Mm, that's such a, that's such a powerful question. Um, maybe something like, you can change this narrative you can change the story, you can flip the script, you know, something along, along those lines, you know, knowing that it doesn't have to be that way. I think that would probably be the message. Yeah, that's a big one. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, ShellyBomick.com is where we can find you. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pretty Decent Podcast. As usual, for the time being, the show is written, scripted, edited, and produced, oh, and hosted, yes, by me, Lexi Merritt. Our theme music is by Aaron Kenny, and if you are interested in getting to know the Pretty Decent Internet Cafe, maybe hanging out in our free community space, or joining our private membership, The Study, you can learn more about both of those spaces at www.prettydecent.org. I'll talk to you soon.